Hi, and welcome to Real Trail Talk. I am Donovan D'Souza from The Long Ways Better. And I'm Mark Pybus from The Life of Pi. Welcome to Episode 7. So we have Rod Ania, the Assistant Director of Visitor Services for the Department of Biodiversity, Conservation and Attractions. Welcome, Rod. G'day. How are you guys? Good. There's a bit of a mouthful in that title. Um, (laughs) Just want to give us a background on your involvement with the trails and also your role within Parks and Wildlife. Yeah, our trails are part of the area that I look after with visitor services. So we have a recreation and trails unit who look after all the different recreational trails and also the recreational pursuits, all the different weird and wonderful things that people want to do from the walking the dog to uh, dog sledding, which we even have in Western Australia, surprisingly. Really? Where? Uh, in the hills, there's uh, a couple of uh, groups that uh, do dog sledding and they have events. Uh, they pull a little wheeled trolley behind. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I had a, a lady at work I used to sit next to and she did that. And the, the dead of winter, when it is the right weather, she took her huskies out and she loved it. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Learn something <laughs> so, new every day. Yeah. So yeah, all, the, all those activities and events and, and trails, that's one of the groups that sit in visitor services. So my role is sort of. When I try and describe it to people, it's really about the things that people want to do in the places we manage. So whether it's uh, just getting out and having a picnic, whether it's you know tackling a, uh, a simple trail to a lookout or to a, a nice viewpoint, or whether it's those multi-day hikes, uh, mountain bike rides, and all the other things in between. So we have managed volunteer program. We do the interpretation, so all the signs and stuff you see in parks the websites that promote the parks and all the design that goes in. So a lot of the things that you see when you visit uh, these places, and I've been listening to you guys talk about them and give us some feedback, it's really great to hear that. But uh, we have a team of landscape architects and designers who uh, design all those experiences and try and make them fit into the places and be relevant to the people who visit and also fit in with the landscape that, that they're in. Fantastic. Excellent. So obviously you make sure people out in their trail experience are having a, a good time. Yourself as a, a trail user, in my research I came across your Strava account and you'd logged something like over 21,000 kilometres cycling. So you're an avid mountain bike rider. Uh, well, perhaps mountain bike riders won't agree with you there, Mark. <laughs> I'm probably more a road cyclist and I occasionally get on a mountain bike. But I've just sort of discovered this long distance uh, bike packing, and I'm really loving getting into that and... I'm a bit of a gear nerd as well, so those two things, bikes and gear coming together, I think I've found my nirvana now. Yeah, it's a very slippery slope when you uh, discover a passion and then every single thing you can spend money on. <laughs> yeah. So um, with the long distance bike packing, have you done an end-to-end of the Mundabidi? Yep, so last year uh, I did an end-to-end. I planned my end-to-end to be as slow as it possibly could be. I had the time to do that and I wanted to take in all the different trail towns. I wanted to stay at as many huts as I could, also stay at as many towns as I could along the way. Um, so it took, I think, about 25 days to complete the end-to-end, and I had a mate probably do about two-thirds of it with me. And it was, yeah, it was fantastic. It was just, I've lived in the southwest for most of the last 30 years, and in some of the small towns, some of the trail towns that you pass through, but you really have a different experience um, when you're actually out on the trail. Mm. So yeah, it was it was fabulous. I, I actually absolutely loved it. I loved being out camping. I loved you know just 
seeing lots of places that I was familiar with, but in a, in a whole new light. So you took it slow. How many of those days were rest days, Rod? I had a rest day in Collie, which was lucky because the ACDC tribute band was playing at the pub at the time, so that was pretty awesome. A really great Collie experience. Uh, I had a rest day in Pemberton with my mate Mark at the camp school there, and then I had a rest day at Nornalup because I've got a shack there. So, uh, yeah, it was fabulous. Cool. And what was your favourite section of the, the Mundabidi? Probably... I guess because I've got a real love for the Kerry Forest and the Tingle Forest, uh, pretty much everywhere south of Donnelly Village. Uh, once I got into the Kerry Forest, that sort of felt like coming home a bit to me. So, mm. yeah, from there through to Nornalup was pretty awesome. And, yeah, that's probably my favourite part. Sounds similar to the Bib. I think a lot of people say that, you know, sort of south of Donnelly. Yeah, except for that woman that you met that really loves the, the dry Jarrah forest. <laughs> we won't go there. Yeah, the, the Carry forest definitely a highlight. Yeah, for me too. Mm. So the recently released WA Trails strategy has a large focus on mountain biking, um, especially getting hubs and kind of networks together. How do you see this um, upgrade as putting WA into the spotlight for both domestic and international riders? Yeah, look, I think the trail strategy has... Uh, covers reasonably well all the different sort of trail disciplines um, but probably the the mountain biking stuff bubbles to the top a little bit because there's a lot of demand at the moment and a lot of unmet demand uh, and that is having knock-on effects into the places that we manage and that other people manage with people if they can't find a trail they're building their own uh, mountain bikers around the world there's a there's a pretty predictable pattern that it follows um, the mountain bikers are always ahead of the curve. They build trails because they haven't got any. Land managers come along and go, you can't ride there, we're going to close all those trails. Eventually, people get together and there's some sort of compromise made and then hopefully uh, there's sustainable trails. So in, in the planning that's been done and in, in that state strategy, we've, we've tried to sort of forecast what that demand's going to be and, and try and put in place some building blocks to avoid some of that having to go through that cycle and go hopefully straight to the buildings of sustainable trails for people. But there's still a big gap there. What I think it can do for Western Australia is what it's done for many, many places around the world. There's many, many things that promise to replace industries that have gone, so timber industries and mining industries. There's lots of people that have tried different things. The only, or, or one of the only things that I've really seen work is this idea around trails. Uh, and particularly there's been some great examples around mountain bike trails that have turned around communities that were pretty much dead. Probably the most recent one in Australia is in Derby in Tasmania where there was a tin mining town. They've, the councils there have invested along with the state government and they've built some fantastic trails. Public investment is now flowing into that town where you couldn't sell a property a few years ago now you can't buy one and I think we've got that opportunity in Western Australia we've got fantastic landscapes a biodiversity hotspot uh, which nowhere else in Australia has got um, you know, we've got we've got all the building blocks to, to do some fantastic things there and it's not just about mountain biking though it's it's the whole package of trails that we could deliver in some of these places mm. now parks and wildlife I guess you guys aren't the only people building trails in Western Australia. If I think about all the hikes I've done, the vast majority are in land that's managed by Parks and Wildlife. Could you talk a bit about 
parks and wildlife and your involvement in the trail community in terms of i guess you guys are sort of a major part of that but you're not the only people doing it i guess where where do parks and wildlife fit into all of that uh, look, I guess um, yeah, you're you're right, Donovan. There's an enormous number of the um, trails that are the places that people love to go to are places that we manage. But there's plenty of other really good trails as well. We, I guess, have some resources and uh, some expertise, and so we're trying to share that expertise where we can, but also work cooperatively with the whole trail industry. So Trails WA, we've chosen not to create a whole nother website and place to put trails, but to put ours in one place, because we think visitors don't really care whose tenure it's on. What they want to find out is about where are all the trails near me, where are all the trails that are in, going to be in the place that I'm going to visit. So rather than having to visit Parks and Wildlife and the local Shire website and some other marketing website, which often pops up in other places, we've decided, well, we'll work together with the trail industry and do that. One of the things we've done is tried to put in place um, some good plans. And so those things can only be done with the community and with other players. So that's often local government, uh, sport and recreation, uh, tourism, some of those other players. So. There's a lot of cooperation that goes on in the background that you don't see that sometimes brings some of these projects to fruition and brings some of these trails and puts them on the ground. Parks and Wildlife also, I think, put a lot of time into supporting the community trail groups. So Bib Track Foundation, Mundabidi Foundation, Cape to Cape Friends and others to keep them going, uh, you know, both with physical but also we have service agreements with all those groups who provide services on our behalf each year so Mundabidi and Bibtrack for instance are responsible for doing the marketing and managing the volunteer maintenance program and those sort of things so there's a whole there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes on and um, yeah our guys really feel like they're part of that community they're really passionate about what they do and I guess more than anything for me what what I see as as the real probably the pearl and the thing that trails bring uh, which means something to me is that it's growing that next generation of people who love parks who love getting outdoors and that's why things like mountain biking um, I'm sort of a bit passionate about at the moment because I see it bringing a lot of young people out onto trails and into parks and while sometimes we might not be 100% with the places they're going and the things they're doing if we can steer that in the right direction I see that building the next generation of supporters of that's going to stand up for these places and it's going to speak for them and it's going to say no I want to protect that no I want to keep that and that's really important you know there's there's all this nature play um, nature deficit disorder kids looking at screens all the time anything that can put people outdoors I reckon is a good thing indeed there's no secret Donovan and I are into our hiking we also do get on our bike occasionally um, we are excited that the mountain biking scene is going to get kind of more focus over the next few years to meet that growing demand but once that strategy kind of not expires but is due for renewal do you think there'll be more of a focus on other types of trails i don't think we have to wait uh, i think it can happen at the same time uh, and certainly that's our plan and that's our focus whilst we're we've rolled out some of those mountain bike plans and as i said that's been around a, a particular demand and, and trying to deal with some impacts 
Uh, there's a state bushwalking and trail running strategy, which is just about to start. And that'll include community consultation. There'll be uh, community reference groups who have input into that plan. Uh, and that'll be run by sport and recreation and parks and wildlife and others. And so I believe that's just about to start that plan. And so out of that will come the same sorts of level of planning we've, we've put into mountain biking. So we'll have this state strategy that says, here's the demand, here are the gaps, here are the things, some, some of the sort of things you guys have, have identified already, you know, around those sort of shorter multi-day walks or those longish single day walks. Um, I'm, I'm sure those things are gonna bubble to the top because they're really great entry level walks and we have not that many of them. Mm. Uh, but there'll be other things that are identified and, and it'll look at uh, the different styles of walking uh, and trail running obviously is just really taking off as, at the moment now as well. Speaking of multi-day hikes, there was a trail that was going to possibly happen a while back, which was a trail that was going to be, I think it was going to be called the Fitzgerald River Wilderness Trail or something like that, something along those lines. Yep. And that was a multi-day hike that was meant to go from one end of the park to the other. And that didn't happen and what we do have in the park now are two overnight hikes. So I've done one of them and it was a fantastic walk. I guess it'd be interesting to know how that, I guess, process came into be to create the trail and then what happened that that didn't happen in the end. So yeah, I had a fair bit to do with that. I was involved reasonably heavily in that project. So the Fitzgerald River National Park um, Improvement Project came about after the mine at Hopetown closed. And you might, and some of the listeners might know that Hopetown really geared up for that mine. BHP started a nickel mine there. A lot of housing development went in. Businesses started on the back of that. A lot of people moved there to live and work in that mine. And uh, look, I can't remember the exact year, but probably would have been 2011, 12, somewhere around there anyway, the mine closed and that put a massive hole in that community. And so the state government and the federal government both committed significant money to improve the Fitzgerald River National Park and make that an attraction that was going to help support the town, both in the development phase, um, so during the building of the uh, new facilities, but also ongoing for, for tourism. And originally the idea was going to be that there was going to be a road put through it was going to be like the Great Ocean Road of the South. And pretty quickly that idea, well, it was pretty clear that wasn't going to happen for a whole range of reasons, uh, one of which was cost. But, you know, that park is, is uh, incredibly special uh, mm. and diverse. And so, yeah, for a whole range of reasons, that wasn't going to happen. So the alternative was to have a walk trail that went from Hopetown to Bremer Bay. And uh, we, we did a lot of planning for that trail. And because it is you know, part of this Southwest biodiversity hotspot and uh, the Fitzgerald River National Park and surrounding areas are World Biosphere Reserve, that trail proposal was referred to the federal government for the Environmental Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act provisions were triggered. And so then a review of the proposal was commenced and that came to the EPA here and there was a, there was a whole lot of you know reports planning uh, environmental assessment and so on and in the end the the EPA came down and said that 
to have the trail go through the wilderness area part of the park was too much of a risk from dieback and therefore the two end walks to where the pretty much there had been established access uh, could go ahead but the wilderness core part of the park they didn't want that walk established any further and look you know, there's arguments for and against that decision, but that was where the decision came down and it was a, a not negotiable uh, mm. outcome. So, you know, I listened to you guys talk about the Stirling Ridge Walk and, and the, the issues around not having a marked trail and whether that is more or less likely to, to result in, in impact. And, you know, all, all those things went through my head at the time as well. Mm. But what we do have are two wonderful walks at either end with a... Um, couple of overnight camps to be able to stop at and if you really want to you can walk all the way through and it's there's lots of people that still do that but it's just a bit more unsupported and uh, the trails a bit harder to find in, through the middle yeah I think having gone to the park and seeing how beautiful the national park is it's probably one of my top five in the state I don't think I've ever been to a place where there's been more different species of wildflowers than Fitzgerald River so I can kind of see, even though it's a shame because that would have been awesome to have that trail all the way through. It's one of those things where you go, well, yeah, I see why that didn't happen. Yeah. So the, the, the park yeah. and the floor in that park is is highly susceptible to dieback. And uh, there's, there's an outbreak in the park, probably not entirely certain, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it was as a result of some firefighting effort at one point when there was a major wildfire. And so there's been an enormous amount of work put into halting just that outbreak and the, and you know there's engineering solutions being put in there with waterproof membrane barriers put in along fire breaks and so all sorts of stuff's gone on so it's been this huge investment in trying to keep dieback out of there and yeah it is a real jewel you know the geology in that park is just amazing and that geology gives rise to a flora that is just completely stunning and so yeah you don't want to risk that for the walk so you can still do the walk and yeah, it's kind of nice that you've got these slightly easier marked walks. You can have the overnight stay. If you really want to push on and do go right through, well, you can, but you've got to be a bit more prepared. You've got to be able to navigate. And so that means that fewer people do it and probably that risk of spreading dieback you know, is reduced. Yeah. But yeah, that Mamang Trail, so from the Point Anne end, I walked that one time and it was during the whale migration. And I sat at this bench seat overlooking the the inlet there where where the campground is and you could hear the whale singing from sitting up on the cliff top mm. it wow. was just incredible and there were i don't know 20 30 whales and calves in the bay at the time and it was yeah it was pretty awesome that sounds so good <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have that when we were there but i was just so impressed by how pristine it is and how quiet as well you really if you want a wilderness experience that's that really gives it to you and it's not that hard so it's nah. it's worth it because yeah. you didn't see anyone while you were there did yeah you? not a one not a single yeah. person um and that was was great once we saw some people at point Anne at the the campground there which is a really nice campground as well but once we started the trail and kept going didn't see a single person and i've never experienced that anywhere else which is really nice yeah well there's some cool podcasts that we did for that project as well that you can listen to i've listened to them Have a few you? times okay. yeah. Yeah. they've got a pretty daggy dieback song in there but <laughs> apart from that the rest of it's not bad do you want to give us a rendition rod no, no. <laughs> in a similar vein 
I guess these problems of, of dieback have been an issue with a lot of trail development. It's, I guess it's always something we're going to have to, to live with in, in Australia. But in the north of the state, one of the things I've noticed is that there are no really great multi-day trails. But then when I think of places like in the Northern Territory, they've got a number in sort of landscapes that you'd probably think are quite similar to us in Australia. Have there been similar issues or different issues up the north that have prevented trail development from happening for long trails? Uh, Look, really, I think most of the issues are around demand. So most of the people who, up till now, are visiting those places are often visiting to camp, to see the highlights, short walks, back to the four-wheel drive, camp in the campground, onto the next place. Uh, there are a number of places which have some amazing overnight walks, but it's totally self-supported and you know you have to be able to navigate and so on. There's certainly some plans for some. One of our guys in Broome is looking at a, a multi-day walk uh, in the King Leopold Ranges around Mount Hart Station. So um, I'm not sure how far progressed his planning is for that. There's some pretty incredible walks out of Kununurra, um, through the range just south of Kununurra. I know one of our guys who lived there for a while talked to me about those. It's very rugged. Uh, and I guess in the north, there's a lot less margin for error. So you have to be really well prepared and know what you're doing. So if we're going to develop multi-day walks, then they need to be things that um, are probably time-bound in when you can do them and when they're possible outside of those times that you need to be someone who really uh, you know is pretty well prepared pretty experienced because the weather you know the wildlife you know all of the seasonality that you get in the in the north um, makes some of those things a bit more challenging even some of the easy walks up there are hard Uh, (laughs) i don't know if you guys have done the walk to um uh, on the mitchell plateau out to mitchell falls but um, that walk is an amazing walk but Mm. um you know, you've got to walk across the top of a couple of waterfalls to, to get to the uh, money shot where the, the falls are. And, you know, if the if the water's flowing a little bit stronger or the, it, it, you know, it's, it's pretty risky in some of those places. And you get that right across that area, you know. So it's not necessarily something like dieback that has held back that development. It's, it's really numbers of people and demand. And then I guess some of those other environmental factors that you need to sort out before you point people out in the bush and say have a great time for a few days. Mm. I was talking to a guy who used to work at El Questro and he said one of the challenges that they potentially may face up there is that in the wet season it will just wash away the track and is that I guess that's something that maybe not in walk trails but is that an issue that you guys have up there with the road access? Yeah yeah for some facilities and you know we've got a bit smarter over the years about how we manage those things but for some things we pull it in and out um, in season uh, and obviously got cyclones that fly through as well so yeah some places we put things up and take them down we move them seasonally and most of those parks up there are closed down now so uh, the ranges pretty much work flat out during the visitor period and then they have a long time off so they're sort of 24 7 for a long time and then have a longer period of time off or downtime but yeah everything just shuts up and uh look our roads roads and trails it's really not that much different to anywhere else you've just got to put them in the right place 
So if you put them in the wrong place, yeah, they're going to disappear every year. So you need to be thinking really carefully about the environment you're putting them in and uh, then there's a greater chance they're going to survive. Mm. But it is a big challenge in those heavy rainfalls. Those, you know, some of those events are, you know, those tropical rainfall events are something else. Maybe like you experienced in the Stirlings, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that was bad, but it wasn't tropical cyclone bad. No. <laughs> uh, speaking of challenges, I know the demand for and the stresses on parks is getting bigger and bigger as the population grows and people want to explore a bit more. And obviously with the aging population, you're getting more grey nomads. How is Parks and Wildlife dealing with that going forward? Yeah, look, it is challenging uh, and resources to manage. Uh, I think we're facing about 32 million hectares that we manage now. Put that into perspective, Victoria's I think about 24 million hectares so just the area that we manage is bigger than one state Mm -hmm. Um, so you're stretching everything pretty thin uh, to to cover all bases and I think that's probably always going to be the case you know um, health education you know police all those things are going to chew up a big chunk of of any state's budget and while we have you know we have some amazing facilities and we have the ability to put still put those in place to spread everything across all of the different demands and all of the different desires and wants is always going to be a tough job so i guess our our task is to try and cater a bit for everyone and try and keep everyone as happy as we can and it sometimes means not doing everything we'd like to do or that people would like us to do or to be able to but uh, we have a an approach that we look at the spectrum of opportunities across the landscape uh, across the different landscapes and we try and provide for different users and different experiences in each of those sort of landscape character types so you know if we take the carry forest we want to have some really super accessible places valley of the giants treetop walk you know you can get your wheelchair around there through to more remote you know less accessible experiences where we can though where we build those sort of you know key facilities we are aiming to make them totally accessible for people with disabilities for prams for pushes all those sort of things Uh, that it's our design goal at the start every single time uh, and and so it should be but obviously there's different needs in different places and and some people want that more remote wilderness experience and so we've got to try and cater for that as well so that spectrum of experiences spread across a range of different landscapes uh, across different geography um, is what's always challenging and always going to be challenging volunteers are a massive part of what we do Uh, we've got about 15,000 volunteers registered with us about 5,000 of those every year contribute time and some of those contribute significant amounts of time and that I haven't got the the numbers off the top of my head but is a significant equivalent uh, value to providing service in parks and you know things like wild care helpline where people can ring up and get advice about what to do if they find injured wildlife through to our campground hosts who do an absolutely magnificent job greeting people in parks in, in some places they might be the only person associated with um, with our organization that the visitor might meet mm. 
So they do an enormously fantastic job. You know, I can speak more highly of them, and and they're incredibly committed. So it's sort of grey nomads often helping grey nomads sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look, we probably are going to get more people who, um, you know, the whole baby boomer generation who are are now retiring and and hooking up their caravan, and so catering catering for them is important. But I think we're also seeing people who are becoming more adventurous. There's more information out there, so people are both seeking and then using that information to to create their own adventures. And it's not just go out in the caravan. You know, more and more we're seeing people walking, mountain biking, you know, taking their motorbikes, whatever, uh, all across the state. Yeah, our challenge is just to try and keep up and uh, sort of. <laughs> try and keep it all contained as we can and uh look i think one of the things we're going to need to do more and more is to just trust people more and that trust will come from building good relationships and if we build really good relationships with the community and with different recreation user groups they understand what we're trying to do and why we're trying to do it and we understand what they want and then we can come to some agreement about how they can help make it happen uh, rather than us having to make everything happen and people having to wait until the resources are there that they can do it themselves. And, you know, we're seeing some of that happening already and I think we're probably going to see a lot more of that. And just touching on a point that you mentioned there with basically Parks and Wildlife kind of being the overseer of everything and that's kind of been a cost to the state. As you mentioned before with Derby and Tasmania, that kind of reinvigorating a town do you see that kind of model being more prevalent in western australia where it's more of a user pays kind of system rather than it's my tax dollars this is what i should be paying for it should be free yeah look again i think there'll be a range of different approaches and the approach that we're taking and the the way i guess we're viewing it is that um, those things that are mostly for the public good so those things that are accessible for everyone that are the general sort of facilities activities services that everyone would expect to get in a park they should be the things that we spend your tax dollars on and my tax dollars on and those things that are more of a private good so more a specialist service or activity is where we'd look at you know putting fees on and some of those things around you know specialist activities and they might be trails Um, and I think the principle there ought to be that it's got to be good it's got to be worth paying for but that it's often servicing a a niche rather than all of the community Mm. Uh, and so if we've got only a, a, a you know not a massive amount of money to spend on a, a huge area of land and there's a niche that wants a particular activity or a particular service, then we ought to be able to find a way to provide that service and people be able to contribute to help pay to provide that service. And I think, you know, in some of the discussions I've had, people don't have a problem with that principle, but they want quality and they want to say in how, how it happens and perhaps how that money's spent and reinvested. Yeah, certainly the Valley of the Giants treetop walk is really something that they've you've invested in quite a bit and you know it costs money to enter but it's also worth the entry fee because that's not something you get to do every day of the week walk amongst you know 70 meter carry trees so yeah there's a whole range of different approaches and ways that other you know land managers and 
national park managers around the world have gone about it and it, it goes from things like you know paying for secure parking so you know your car's not broken into on the side of Brookton Highway when you get back to your car <laughs> <laughs> or Albany Highway for that matter mm. um, that you know you p- might pay for the ability to wash your bike or to have a shower or to buy the maps or to while you're off doing your walk your family can do some other activity that happens at a centre where you've parked and that you know one part of the family has a great day out doing one thing and the others have got something there um, you know there's there's things like uh, trail passes there's places that have uplift for mountain bikes for instance where they you know they make their money out of lifts that take people up to the top and they ride back down again mm-hmm. so there's a whole range of different things and it's pretty much horses for courses which thing fits again i think you know we're a little way off that but um you know you look at the bilman track and the mundabidi trail unbelievable uh really amazing facilities uh, huge amount of resource goes into managing that you don't really see it when you're there but to make that experience happen takes a lot of effort and work and time and at the moment that's you know anyone can just walk in there and do that will we get to a point where the huts are too full and we have to start you know if you want to use that hut maybe you need to book in the future you know we're a little way away from that but I don't want in my future to take my grandkids or my friends out and get to a Mundabidi or a Bib Track hut and be sharing it with 50 people. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not the experience that I want. I shared it with 20 once and that was enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, with the new Labor government winning the election this year, does Parks and Wildlife see any change or is it business as usual? No, significant change. You know, new governments come in with um, some big plans to shake up public service and, and make changes. And, you know, we've been calling our organisation Parks and Wildlife for this whole interview and uh, we're Department of Biodiversity, Conservation and Attractions. I work for the Parks and Wildlife Service part of, of that organisation. But we're now joined together with Kings Park, Rottnest Island and the zoo. And I think we'll see some more changes shake out as that relationship becomes closer. And right across government, those similar sorts of changes are happening. So you've got less government agencies with more responsibility within each one for a variety of tasks. And uh, DBCA is, is no different. And, you know, a lot of that's still, still shaking out. So exactly what the final shape of that is and how that all washes through will take a little while. But I will say that, you know, things are still running really smoothly. Um, There's good relationships with the other organisations. We've got some really similar things that we do and some really different things that we do. And what we're trying to do is make the most of those similar things so that we can do those things even better than we do now. Uh, And, yeah, each of us has strengths um, that we can build off. So, yeah, I think it's, you know, change is like a constant. So... Let's make the most of it and and grow a really good agency and hopefully, you know, we can be even better at engaging with people who want to come and visit places we manage. Excellent news. (laughs) Um, On a recent trip down south, I was sitting at Beetleup Falls in the car park and I noticed on the way in there was a junior radio to carry FM and I'd, I'd heard a familiar name pop up on the radio it was yours so i sat in the car and listened to a little bit um how much fun was that to record and do you think like the, the carry explorer programs they got down south do you think there'll be more of those around the state in the future 
Yeah, it was a bit of fun to do. Um, yeah, I, I worked in Pemberton for 10 years as a ranger and, and absolutely loved it. So it was good to be able to talk about the place I loved and that sort of interesting that that's still living on, you know, sort of 15 years later now. Um, so yeah, look, it was great and glad you listened to it, glad it's still working. I think probably we'll see, or we have seen technology overtake that radio delivery mode and what we're sort of focusing on is perhaps the next iteration of something like Trails WA being able to have that functionality so that you can have location specific information that can pop up when you are at particular points of interest and there's already some other apps that do that so you carry it on your phone you don't need you know phone access for it to play if you want to download that content before you go so that's the way I think that technology is heading Maintaining a radio station in the Cary Forest is pretty hellish. Um, they're all these little short distance transmitters. Uh, they've got to be plonked very high up the Cary trees. Um, the batteries stop working sometimes. They've got a little solar panel and a battery and then the little short distance transmitter. So I think our guys will be pretty happy when the technology overtakes that. But for the moment, it's uh, still yeah, it's still good. Yeah, noticed a bit of noise around uh, a few apps being released um, and they're expanding the kind of experiences around the state so it's good to see mm. now we've talked a bit about i guess things like new cycle trails potential trails up north like in Broome, and the potential for things like shorter multi-day hikes in maybe the southwest and other areas of western australia what are some of the development opportunities you see in the trail community in WA that are, I guess, maybe on the go or in the planning stages? And how easy do you think it would be to see these come to fruition? Uh, let me deal with the last bit first. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think it's going to be easy because I've spent my last five years banging my head trying to say I really think trails can make a difference in Western Australia. I think it can make a difference to the economy socially yeah i think they can really have a big impact but we've just got to get all the planets to align for that to occur so what do i see are the opportunities well through some great planning that was done mostly commissioned by sport and recreation um, we did this work uh, looking at trail towns or trail hubs and i think the development of one or two examples of trail towns that have all of the different factors all of the different variables in place so that's a decent trail inventory and whether that's walking horse riding mountain biking whatever it is or a combination of all those things canoeing you know dive trail all, all that stuff but you need marketing you need the sign posting that can make it easy for people to find these things you need the support services in the town accommodation transport food all those things need to line up and then people need to be switched on who are running those businesses that the reason people are coming to your town is because they want to come and use these trails and I think if we can package all of that together then there are a few towns that are really ripe to just take off um, and we'll see people well, we already are seeing on a, on a pretty modest inventory of trails in some places that the visitation is changing and it's going from I'm going to that place because I want to go surfing or I want to go and visit a gallery or a winery or whatever it is I'm going there because I'm going mountain biking or I'm going there because I'm going to go walking or you know probably we'll see horse riding 
and there's one local government area that's exploring at the moment the concept of becoming the off-road motorbike place for people to go to and so whatever it is whatever those things are that bring people to those trails I think are an enormous opportunity for us and we've got I think as I said before we've got the landscape and it's just such a different place Western Australia it's got different qualities to anywhere else in the world and what what we'll see is those qualities even more valued so those places that are harder to get to that are more unique that are different will be places that people will want to pay to come to and will want to experience so yeah I think those things are, are pretty exciting um, I think we'll probably see the development of the sort of multi-day walks where you can do the premium version or you can do the budget version and do it yourself and we've seen those in Australia and around the world so you get you know public huts whether it's a bib track style sorry shelter or um, or it's the luxury version so you get there someone else's carried your gear there um, and you can have a nice meal and a glass of wine and and then you go on to the next hut I think we'll see some of that probably um, what we always struggle with in WA is we go around Australia and around the world and we see all these fantastic things that happen um, but pretty much everywhere else has a much much bigger population base to be working with so the margin for getting it wrong here is very small you need to be on point pretty much straight up um, or in a place that has a really well-established tourism uh, industry and good marketing otherwise yeah it's it's hard hard yakka so other places you can afford to get a little bit wrong and then sort of work towards getting it right because you're always going to have enough new people coming along until you in unless you stuff it up for years and years but <laughs> um, we don't we don't have that uh, you know you look look at some of the mountain biking stuff in Wales or in Scotland and you know they've got 20 million people within their a couple of hours drive well we, we don't have that mm -hmm. so sometimes some of these things that we see and think gee it'd be great if we could do that are just going to be really difficult to make happen mm. um, so obviously you're a busy man with um, your role at Parks and Wildlife or DBCA you do like to get out and about on your mountain bike and your road bike um, what's coming up for you in 2018 in terms of your own personal trail experience Okay, 2018. Well, I've got a couple of Mundabitty rides planned with some mates. So just sort of, you know, weekend, three or four days. I'm going to be out and about down at Walpole, which is uh, my favourite place to, to go to, down around Nornalup and Walpole. And every time I go there, I do pretty much all the walks that are around there and check them all out again. Um, so I'll be doing that probably early in the year. Uh, I'm planning to go to Tasmania for a uh, do a bit of bike touring um, probably during 2018 probably during the latter half of 2018 and I don't know I'm sort of got some ideas about doing some sort of long distance bike packing thing so um, early stages of doing that I'm, I've been really captivated by uh, the Indian Pacific wheel race the race to the rock which was run recently which is you know solo unsupported thousands of kilometers um, and yeah, you just got to look after yourself and, and get there so I don't really know if I'm up to that but I'd like to find out sometime awesome <laughs> thanks for coming in Rod it's been a pleasure no worries yet yeah, it's been great and uh, 
congratulations on what you're doing. I think it's a really great addition to the trails community in WA. And so more power to you. Thank you. Thank you. So we'll see you again in a fortnight for episode eight. Yep. Thank you for listening.